Welcome. Today is Wednesday, November 29th, and this is the Cato Institute's daily podcast. I'm Anastasia Yuglova. At a speech yesterday, U.S. Trade Representative Susan Schwab sounded optimistic about the prospects for bipartisan cooperation in the 110th Congress, calling the moment an opportunity to make bipartisan history in trade. Today, our trade policy analyst Sally James offers her thoughts on the state of trade after the Democratic election victories. With the recent election victories of some very vocal opponents of free trade, would you say that prospects for further liberalization are in peril? Well, it's difficult to say because the mood in Congress, this, I guess, strongly bipartisan support for trade liberalisation that we'd seen certainly over the post-war period seemed to have been breaking down, and not just because of the Democrats' concerns about labour and environmental regulations, but some Republican members were not as strongly supportive as trade as they may have been previously, and certainly not all Republican members are pro-free trade. But what we have seen, and university in Switzerland, the University of St Gallen, had done a study and had concluded that 16 House seats and five Senate seats had actually changed hands from pro-trade reform or pro-trade liberalisation members to, I guess, trade sceptics. You could describe them as, at best, some of them were overtly hostile to trade. And that really shows that there's been somewhat a shift I guess the centre of gravity has shifted. So certainly I would not, for example, say that Fast Track Authority, which is the authority for the administration, just to submit a trade agreement to Congress for an up and down vote. In other words, they can't make amendments and pick it apart. I was not confident that that was going to be passed no matter who controlled Congress in July 2007 when it was up for renewal. But certainly I think we've seen that the centre of gravity has shifted in a more, I guess, protectionist or or certainly trade sceptic direction, and I think that's a worry. We've already seen the House of Representatives defeat legislation that would have normalised trade relations with Vietnam, so what prospects will there be for that in the 110th? Personally, I think that the 109th Congress will in fact pass that before the end of this year or certainly before they break. But I'm glad you raised it. It's a really worrying phenomenon because the permanent normal trade relations status Most people in the trade community thought it was a no-brainer. It does not require anything of the United States that would normally get people that are trade sceptic riled up. In other words, it didn't require the Americans to drop their tariffs on any product. It simply was a matter of extending this PNTR status to Vietnam and it would allow the United States to benefit from Vietnam lowering their tariffs to American goods. So if anything, you would think there was nothing really controversial to this bill and that's why they attempted to pass it using expedited rules. So in other words, that required a two-thirds majority to pass it. What I think is important to keep in mind is that that bill did in fact pass with a simple majority of votes, just not the supermajority that was required. I'm not quite sure why. I don't know whether it was because people saw the results of the election, you know, certainly outgoing members and wanted to show that they had heard the message of the American people. My personal suspicion is that it was simply a matter of the Republicans not being organised enough to get their members to go to vote. I'm sure it was just, especially with a changeover of the House, the post-election kind of confusion, and perhaps it just was not well organised enough. But that was a worrying sign, and we all hope, those of us in the trade community that are pushing for reform, that the permanent normal trade-relating status is passed very soon. 
Well, let's hope that they do pass it in the 109th because your colleague Dan Eikenson is very skeptical that the 110th Congress is going to yield any favorable legislation or any new trade agreements. Yes, I mean, I wouldn't want to speak for Dan. I'm sure he can do that himself. But I would agree with him that it's certainly not looking good for trade in the next Congress for all the reasons that I've already mentioned. The fact we have a change in feel in this new Congress towards trade, certainly the Vietnam vote, although, as I just said, I think there were certain circumstances that were special to that that maybe got in the way of that passing. But I think what we may see in this new Congress, even apart from fast track, And I'd just like to say on that point that the AFL-CIO, the big trade union organisation that strongly supported a lot of Democratic candidates, has actually come out publicly and said they do not favour an extension of this trade promotion authority or fast track. And without that authority, the administration is simply not seen as a credible negotiating partner. Other countries that might want to sign an agreement with the United States worry that anything they sign may in fact be picked apart by the new Congress, so what's the point in signing? So I think that would be a real problem. But even apart from that, a lot of incoming Democratic members have signalled that they may in fact be willing to grant this fast track if the provisions attached to that were such that stronger labour and environmental provisions would have to be incorporated in any new trade agreements. So in fact... Even if Dan and I are proved wrong, and in fact trade agreements can continue to be signed as much as they have, hopefully better, there may in fact be provisions in them that are really unacceptable to would-be trade partners, and that's something we really need to watch out for. I think the big looming fear that we all share is that the Doha round will never succeed. So where does that stand now? Well, what's been happening, the talks broke down at the end of July and since then they've been, I guess, formally suspended. And what that means is that the Trade Negotiating Committee, which is the committee that oversees the individual agreements on individual areas, does not meet in a formal sense. Ministers have not been meeting to formally negotiate any of these new ideas in the Doha round. But what has been going on, and the United States administration has been behind this, is what's been called quiet diplomacy. So in other words, in informal meetings, gatherings of ministers, perhaps ministers talking by phone informally, trying to see where members stand on different positions. Certainly I think there's benefits to that because a lot of the kind of negotiation by press release hasn't seemed to work. It gets countries quite riled up and agitated about their own positions being aired in public and it gets people quite defensive about their own positions. So I think what we're hoping now, and in fact in recent days we've seen that different negotiating groups, for example the Agriculture Negotiating Committee, has been meeting informally under the auspices of the chair, Crawford Falconer, calling members to chat with him about their positions. But, you know, quite frankly, unless members are not prepared to offer more in the Doha round, they can talk as much as they like. We're not going to see movement unless members come to the table prepared to... I guess, compromise on what they were offering before and prepared to get specific about what they are willing to offer and what they are willing to accept or what they want to see out of this round. Until we see that, it's not going to go further. And, of course, the big danger of the Doha round failing is... 
I guess, a turn or a change in tone towards litigation in the WTO. And even though the dispute settlement process works relatively well, it's only strong as the member's commitment to that process. And if there's no negotiations in the offing, if members feel that the WTO in itself has lost value as a negotiating forum, they may in fact be less likely to abide by the rulings of the WTO dispute settlement body and to fulfil their commitments of the WTO. I hope that's not the case, and certainly it's not in anyone's interest for the world trading system to become really a court where countries just kind of sue each other trying to achieve their goals. That's not in the interests of a smoothly operating trading system. So I think all of us hoping for reform see Doha as something that really, in the absence of political will and acknowledgements of the benefits of unilateral reform, is the best hope for trade liberalisation. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.